My name is Leah Martinez. And in this episode, my goal is to share a little bit more information about how networking can be done to improve your your connections within the field and help get you where you're trying to go. So help get you to those goals. Welcome to Seismic Sound Off, exploring the depth and usefulness of geophysics for the scientific community and the public. I'm your host, Andrew Gary. In this conversation, Leah Martina shares the critical skills necessary to network successfully. Leah offers tips and best practices to fully utilize networking to further your career and technical skills. She explains why seven follow-ups are the magic number, the importance of establishing credibility early, and how to use note-taking to your advantage. She outlines the unique ways that both introverts and extroverts struggle with networking, and how to address them. This conversation may seem like a soft skill you can ignore, but mastering networking could be the tool that unlocks your next scientific discovery or career-defining connection. Leah Martinez is a geophysical engineer working with Mount Sopris Instruments in Denver, Colorado. To learn more about the SEG Near Surface Geophysics Critical Skills Series, Visit seg.org slash podcast or check out the episode's show notes where you're listening. And now, my conversation with Leah Martinez. So, Leah, you you have already had a webinar on this for the Critical Skills webinar series. And why why do you consider networking a critical skill? Well, networking, I think, is a skill that should be used in any industry that you're in, in any facet of work that you're doing. It should be used regardless of whether you're doing geophysics or working, you know, in baseball. So it can be used anywhere, anytime. And I think it's one of those life skills that we should all be working on developing. We all have to interact with people in our everyday lives. And knowing how to interact with those people in a way that that not only benefits you, but can benefit them is going to be a key skill that you can develop in in any industry or role that you have going forward in the future. You know, one thing we we in trying to schedule this this conversation, you were traveling a ton. So you're really living out this like going to professional events, going to educational conferences. Why is it important for anyone to attend such events like this and, and incorporate these networking skills? I've been going to these conferences both domestically and internationally for over a decade now. And I go to probably an average of between 10 and 20 conferences a year. So I'm, I'm constantly working with people. And then a lot of it is in a conference type setting. In fact, I just got back from a conference in Mexico last week. And what's interesting is you when you first start going to these conferences, you don't know the people around you. But after the, the first or the second time you go... You, you end up running into the same people again and again and again. And you form these, these kind of professional relationships with them over time. And this network of people that you get to know and trust and like, as you get to know them, they become the people that you call on in your everyday work. You know, when you say, oh, hey, you know, I have a question about this or that application in geophysics, or I'm looking for somebody who provides this kind of service. And that ends up being the person that you reach out to and say, hey, you know, can you help me with this or, or can you connect me to this other person? These connections end up forming a good skeleton or basis for the, the professional career that you're trying to build. And so it's, it's highly important to get out there as early as you can and start building that network. 
it's almost like investing. You know, you want to start investing as soon as you can to, to help that buddy just grow for you. But one of the things kind of hidden in that response there is that you have to continue to show up. You know, what would you say to just encourage someone who is maybe just starting to do that and maybe their first conference, they really didn't get as many people as they were hoping or really didn't feel like they put themselves out there? Is it really just like keeping the long view on networking? Yeah, it is. It's about keeping that long view. It's not about a one and done kind of, I'm going to attend this conference. I'm going to meet these people. These people are going to help me in my in my career goals. It's not about that one time. It really is about showing up again and again. And I get that that can be out of the range of some people, depending upon their geographic location or their financial abilities at that point in time, they may not be able to fly all around and get to these conferences. But making those connections again and again. So I have people, for example, that I met one time at a conference and we keep in touch on LinkedIn. We keep in touch on Facebook. We keep in touch via email. We keep in touch via phone calls. So there's many people that I've only met once face to face, but I continue to reach out to them or they continue to reach out to me in in what in the networking industry we would call or, or sales industry we would call touches, right? How many times have you touched or connected with that person since the first time? You know, if you look at the studies, a lot of what the studies show is that seven touches, seven connections, whether it be email, text, phone, in face to face in person is always the best if you can. But seven touches is really what it takes for a person to really start developing that trust in you as a friend and as a colleague within your within your networking community. You know, one of the things, you know, you volunteer to host this webinar you have other volunteer roles, other global teaching engagements. How has those kinds of activities built your network? Oh, in a, to a great degree. I would say that um, the first thing I would always recommend as far on the networking side, especially if you're just starting out, is really try and volunteer with these societies. Volunteer with the SEG, volunteer with the AEG, volunteer with Aegis, volunteer with any of these organizations, these these geophysical or industry-specific organizations that are your goals to be more visible in. So one of the first things I did, and I was actually very lucky, I had somebody within my workplace that that nominated me for a, a number of different roles on boards. Um, they said, oh, I know you're new. I know you just got out of school, but, but I really think that that you would do great in this board position. It was a lower lower level board positions or, or volunteer roles to help plan, you know, a certain event conference. But the more you can get out there and kind of be interacting with the people in your community that you want to know, again, that's that's going to help in every in every way, shape and form. And you can't often see directly how it's going to help you in that moment or even in that month or year. But years down the road, you'll realize that those were the key connections that you needed to make at that time and that they paid dividends, you know, 10, 20 years later. Now, this could apply to a local meetup as well, but looking at a conference, would you say there is a wrong way to approach someone at a conference? Yes. It's actually thinking about this the other day. There is very much a wrong way to approach somebody. The wrong way to approach somebody is to come up and say, this is what I need, right? Even just imagine picturing that in your head. Picture that. Picture somebody walking up to you at a conference and saying, hi, my name is, you know, John Smith. This is what, you know, I've been studying. This is what I need. How can you help me? Right. Immediately, even just imagining that you can you feel a little bit put off. 
right? You're like, well, why are you asking for something from me when when I don't even know you? I don't necessarily care about you all that much. What are what have you done? What have you done for me? Right? That's that's the immediate question that's just kind of appear in your head, not that you're going to verbalize it. But and that's kind of the feeling in some ways that even if you're in an exhibition booth and you have a student come up to you and hand you a resume and say, you know, here's my resume. You know, a lot of the question is that you're going to have even standing in an exhibition booth is, okay, well, who are you as a person? Right. You don't just want to have a piece of paper, you know, have somebody toss something to you or or come up to you and and ask you questions of how you can help them. It's more, let me know a little bit more about yourself. So that that is the wrong way that I would say to approach somebody. I would come up and I would explain who I am, right? Give people context. That's really what we talk about with an elevator pitch. Yeah. So what is the role of a personal elevator pitch in walking up to someone at a conference? Yeah. So that, that's one of the things we talked about in the, uh, in the webinar, which I highly recommend seeing if, for those of you that haven't seen it, there's a recording. But in the, in the webinar, we talk about how to craft your personal elevator pitch. And usually an elevator pitch has a couple of keynotes that it hits, you know, who you are, where you're from, a, a contextual piece of information about yourself. You know, I'm Leah Martinez. I just graduated from the Colorado School of Mines in geophysics. I'm interested in studying this, this and, you know, give a, a contextual piece of information so that this person has somewhere to place you. And not only that, you know, you're giving yourself credibility in that space. So as much credibility as you can give in your elevator pitch, you know, tell them why you are an important person to be listening to or paying attention to in that moment. And then talk about, you know, what you're looking for. Say, you know, I'm thinking about going to graduate school. I'm interested in studying this, this and that. Would you perhaps, and then again, the call to action at the end of the elevator pitch, would you perhaps know somebody that I could contact that's where I could learn more about this or where I could, you know, advance my career goals? So really you're giving, you're introducing yourself, giving context, you know, making yourself unique in some way with that context and then asking if they can help, but not, you know, making it too intense. Just saying, hey, do you happen to know somebody that could help me? In that way, you're, you're reaching your goals. And it's called an elevator pitch because it usually fits within the time it takes to, to take an elevator with somebody, right? It's you meet somebody in the elevator, you're on the, the first floor, you're going up to floor number 10. How much time do you have before you get to 10? Maybe it's a minute, maybe it's two minutes, but you need to be able to give that pitch in a very succinct way. And I've also found that having a prepared elevator pitch can make those socialization situations a lot easier, right? When you're going up to a cold group of people, so you know, a group of people that are already talking at a conference, you don't know them, you don't have any connections. It can feel very intimidating to walk up to a group of people. But if you have an elevator pitch already prepared, it's already memorized. You don't have to use it word for word, right? You don't want to sound like a robot, but have it memorized so that you kind of have something ready to go. And you have that, it gives you an extra additional boost of confidence when going into that situation. Yeah, I think that's really important is having that confidence. I've certainly experienced that of feeling so much more confident of approaching people when I have the the speech in mind that I I have memorized. And one of the things, you know, if you grew up in a, a certain place, certainly the U.S., but other places, and you watch any courtroom dramas, leading questions or something you think are a bad thing. But in the in the sense of networking, why is it important to ask leading questions to someone? Oh, it's it's so important, right? 
there's leading questions. Questions are one of the my I love playing with questions. <laughs> I sometimes I'll even, you know, I'll be at a networking event and I don't really have a particular goal in mind in some situations. And so I'll just kind of use questions as a way to see to see how well I can direct the conversation. It's kind of fun. You should I recommend that everybody try it sometime. But yeah, you can you can use questions as a way to really access the information that you are interested in accessing, right? And people love talking. People love talking. So the more questions you can ask that, you know, again, going back to, let's say, graduate school, if that's your goal, if your your goal is to get into a particular type of graduate school, ask those leading questions, you know, ask questions such as, uh, you know, what graduate school did you go to? How did you know that that was going to be the best fit for you? How did you go about looking for an advisor? How did you study for this or that test? Did you read it, reach out to your potential advisor, you know, outside of the examination or application process? If you did, if you were able to meet with them, what were some of the questions you asked them, right? Getting at that information that really helps you dive deep into what can help you fulfill your career goals. You know, let's say you want to move to Brazil and work for a certain company in Brazil. You know, ask somebody, hey, have you, have you ever met somebody that's moved to Brazil in our industry, in our oil and gas industry, and done some work there. And they'll probably, you know, if it's somebody who's been in the industry for a little while, they'll say, oh, yeah, my friend so-and-so, they uh, they did some work back in Brazil for such and such company at this time. And you'd be like, oh, great. Is your friend at this conference, you know, how did they make that work for them? Do you know, could you tell me a little bit more about that? These leading questions, they really, they can really open up doors. And it's so easy because you're not even having to talk about yourself. You're just trying to get information out of the other person in in a way that they're happy to share. You know, people are really happy to share this information. Yeah, the nice thing about leading questions, too, is it's easy for the person to respond to a leading question. It's not they don't have to sit there and ponder. It's not a, you know, intense question. It's usually, yeah, where do you go to grad school? Do you know someone who moved to Brazil for work? These are really simple questions you can just pop in your head and answer quickly. And, and you don't make a lot of work on the person getting the question. You know, one of the things I really struggle with when I'm networking, especially in a, in a large room, and I'm kind of going person to person, is, you know, people are telling you things, and I want to remember what those things are being said. So how do you go about making notes of these things that you want to remember from these interactions that you're having? I struggle with this, to be honest with you. I am the type of person that as soon as the conversation is over, I've almost forgotten 100% of it within three minutes. My memory just does not grasp it for long periods of time. So I've had to figure out a number of ways to do this. Obviously, the first one is I'll take the business card or, or if, I, if I could get a business card. If I don't have a business card on me, I usually keep a small notebook on me when I'm going to a networking event because there are a number of people that, you know, for whatever reason, they may not have a business card or they may not have it on them. And I'll immediately make a note. And I mean, like, literally immediately after talking to them, I will make some quick notes on the notepad. If I don't even have a notepad, because sometimes I forget that, I'll use Evernote in my phone. I'll just open up Evernote real quick and type some quick notes. But if I don't take that time, that that very short period of time after I've talked to them to make the note, I know I'm going to forget it. I've even had to use tricks such as saying I need to go to the bathroom when I don't. It's <laughs> a great one. I'll use the, um, oh, I'm going to go grab some food or I'm going to go grab a drink real quick. You know, I'll use that as well as a way of kind of getting away. Because if you don't get away from the group, you know, you'll just continue talking and talking and talking and you'll you'll lose that note, whatever you're trying to get down. As I've gotten more comfortable 
I'll now just pull open my phone or the notebook and I'll just take the note right in front of people. And I'll just say, oh, well, I wanted to write down what you told me real quick. Otherwise, I know I'm going to forget it. Right. Nowadays, I'm just more upfront with it. I'll just say, you know, I am taking this note right now because, you know, I, I am going to forget it. And people understand that. And they'll give you a couple of seconds to take that note. Well, I imagine for most people, too, it's it's a nice thing to see someone caring enough to make a note about that. I, I would think it's almost a way to endear you to a person that they see you right there. Oh, you're making a note of this. That's nice. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've recommended books to people. And the ones that make a note, certainly I'm like, oh, they're actually paying attention. You know, when you when you recommend a book or, or a paper or something like that to somebody and they they care enough to make a note. And it just makes it makes following up with that person too. If you're reaching out on LinkedIn or an email, so much easier. If you like, thank you for this recommendation of this book. Like it just makes that cold kind of email afterwards less awkward because you have something to base it on from what they've shared, uh, which I've always appreciated. What do you think that introverts and extroverts? What do they get wrong about networking? Well, it's kind of the for an introvert, and and I've. I, when I started off doing this job in networking, I was very, very much the introvert. And I think that's still my go-to. But I've learned to be the extrovert over the years. And that that just takes a lot of kind of fake it till you make it <laughs> to get to be an extrovert when you're not one originally. So I can see it from both sides. At this point, I would say that one of the things that an introvert struggles with most is this feeling that they don't have anything to contribute to a conversation, right? They they think, you know, they're going to find me boring. I'm not going to say the right thing. I'm going to stumble over my words. I might come off sounding like an idiot. You know, there's all of this second guessing that goes on in your head as you're trying to talk to somebody or, or, or network with a group or network even one-on-one. There's this, there's this lack of self-confidence that happens inside, you know, in your head. And really, the only what I that's what an introvert gets wrong. And the only way I've found to to compensate for that again is that the the fake like you have that confidence until it actually starts being real, right? Just kind of put yourself out there. And I know everybody says that put yourself out there, but really it is. If you don't have the confidence to begin with, just fake it. Nobody else can tell. They can't even tell. And more than that, they they don't care. People do not care. You know, if you if you feel insecure, all they care about is getting to know you. There's nothing that you're going to say that is that is wrong or that sounds stupid or is this or that. I'll often second guess myself in my head, you know, talking about geophysics, especially if I'm talking to somebody who's much more knowledgeable than me about a certain subject material. And what I just had to realize some years ago was like, yes, there are areas of geophysics that I know a lot about. And there's a lot of areas of geophysics that I don't know a lot about. And when I'm talking with somebody who does, you know, airborne EM, for example, I'm going to ask some stupid questions because I just don't. That's not my area. Right. And that's OK. That's OK if they if I think they're stupid questions. The person who is doing airborne EM that I'm talking to is probably just happy to talk about it. They love talking about what they're passionate about. So I wouldn't worry about all of those those silly, you know, self-confidence issues that get in the way when you're introverted. And for an extrovert, it's kind of the opposite. For an extrovert, we can talk too much. And that's really something now in, you know, <laughs> in later networking now, that's something that I struggle with now is, is you can probably tell I'm talking a lot on this interview. But I do tend to talk too much 
talk over people, not allow people enough time to get a word in edgewise, which goes back to asking questions, right? I find that when I can revert to asking questions, I'm much better as a networker than I am when I'm the person who's talking. So when I talk, it can go on and on forever. And I think that's something that that extroverts struggle with is where where do we hit the stop button? Do you feel like there has been a principal teaching or even experience that has helped you succeed in your field? In principle, I think I mentioned this earlier in the interview. I would just say, you know, I, I kind of think of each person as an individual treasure chest is how I've started thinking of people is that every single person and it doesn't matter if it's at a networking conference or if it's, you know, Joe Blow that you meet who's experiencing housing instability on the street. You know, every single person has something to contribute that you don't know about, but that you might want to know about, right? Every person has this wealth of knowledge and experience that you can only access by being curious and by being interested. So I would say always be curious and be interested in other people, interested in what they do and interested in in what, you know, what makes them happy in life. Because when you get to know people, it's a, it's a wealth of information. And I think taking that forward, if you can just kind of always approach a networking situation from a point of view of curiosity, then you're going to be on on strong ground. Yeah, I love that image of they're a treasure chest and, and you're just trying to learn more about it. Is there anything I should have asked that I did not? The other thing, one of the other topics I think that we really hit on in the webinar is how to create rapport with somebody that you're meeting for the first time. So that's that's really important that like I was saying before, the elevator pitch is kind of the first thing you would do. But after that, you know, create rapport with people, you know, find out what their familial situation is, find out what they do for a career, find out where they're geographically from, find out, you know, what they do for hobbies. These kind of ways of creating rapport, creating creating similarities between yourself and them, that can create an instant bond that can help you kind of unlock the information and, and and really, it helps you reach the point where they're wanting to help you with your goals, right? If you can find ways like, oh, hey, we, we both went to the Colorado School of Mines, or we're both interested in studying, in my case, borehole geophysics, right? Create that rapport with somebody in the beginning when you're first getting to know them. Just ask them about themselves. Ask them about their interests. Oh, hey, we both have three-year-old boys, Right. These kinds of things create instant rapport with a person. If you have those similarities, focus on those similarities. And and that, again, will unlock that treasure chest for you. Yeah, I had an eye doctor this appointment this morning and and somehow it got on that, that we were both interested in board games. And I just feel like that whole dynamic conversation just shifted into a much more pleasant, helpful, oh, I'll give you this free trial. You know, it just like changes the whole thing when you were like, oh, we have something in common here. I love that. We'll definitely link to this talk so people can see the whole thing. I appreciate your insight. This was a wonderful conversation and uh, look forward to sharing it with the audience. Thank you. Thank you for your time. You reached the end of Seismic Sound Off. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want to be the first to know about the next episode, please follow or subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Two of my favorites are Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you have episode ideas, feedback for the show, or want to sponsor a future episode, visit seg.org podcast and find the box titled Contact Seismic Sound Off. 
Zach Bridges created original music for this show. This episode was hosted, edited, and produced by me, Andrew Gary at Treasurement. The SEG podcast team is Jennifer Cobb, Kathy Gamble, and Ali McGinnis. Thank you for listening. This is Seismic Sound Off, signaling off. <laughs>